question was, how could it become that a custom became an accepted practice? That's the question. Now, this, this concept, in Hebrew the word is minhag, minhag is custom. And we have a rule that says, minhag yisrol toyrim, a Jewish custom is part of Torah. Now, what this means is that if the Jewish people, not just in one place, but throughout the world, in all parts of the world, Jewish people practice a custom, then it becomes part of Torah. And everyone does it. If one community has a certain practice, a certain custom, it's their custom. And they should continue doing it. But it doesn't become international. There's a deeper understanding of all this, which I don't want to get that, that much involved now. There's a beautiful explanation for this, a real beautiful explanation. I'll just touch upon it. We know that in this world, God invested holiness. One holiness is the holiness of Torah. And another holiness is the holiness of the neshama, of the, of the soul. Now, the way to expose the holiness of the soul, of the neshama, is through Torah. Torah reveals the holiness of the soul. Now, when it comes to our relationship to God, which comes from our soul, the Torah says we are we are children of God. And when we look at the relationship between a child and a father, between a father and a child, the simple relationship is the father says to the child, bring me a coffee, please. Okay, the child says, you want to bring me a coffee, I'll bring you a coffee. That's one relationship. But there's a deeper relationship. There's a relationship where the child takes initiative and he goes over to Tati, goes to the father and he says, Tati, I know I feel, I sense that you want coffee. Can I please bring you a coffee? That's a deeper relationship. He doesn't wait. He just senses it. This is how our forefathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yankov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is how they fulfilled mitzvahs. They did mitzvahs before the Torah was given. How? It wasn't given yet. The answer is they were children of God. It was just they sensed it. It was instinct. They had the sensitivity. <laughs> right. Not just that. He didn't know all the mitzvahs. Now when it comes to Jewish custom, when the Jewish people collectively, they take upon themselves a certain custom, they might not even know where it comes from. But there's a super sensitivity in the collective unit of the Jewish people where they say, God, I know you want it. I'm going to do it. That's the deeper dimension of a custom. So how does a custom, how do we know that a custom is valid when it's accepted? What's the deeper, what's the soul of the matter? The soul of the matter is, it's the neshama. The neshama becomes activated. And this also leads us to another question about different customs. There are different customs between Lubavitch and other groups. All customs are valid. As long as they all follow the shulchan, the code of Jewish law, they're all valid. It's not that one is valid and one is invalid. Each custom has significance and each one has to be respected. Those customs which everyone accepted, that's part of Torah. But if you have individual customs, each group have their customs and it's okay. 
But the different customs are only minor areas of life. It doesn't touch upon the major arteries of Jewish life. The customs might be if you wear a strimal or you wear a hat. A hat, that. Do you wear a black or do you wear a blue? My custom is black, his custom is blue. No. Different customs, but it's only minor areas of life. You know? It doesn't, it doesn't touch upon the essentials. Okay. No? That, that, that part. If I'm come to uh, dumping in this Yoshua, on Shabbat, I live here, and two blocks away, that I have to follow your custom, I'm Sephardic. I want to come and pray with you on Shabbat, you know, Shabbat. That now, uh, that I have to, whatever you do, I say, you know what, uh, I have to follow my customs. No. When you pray from your sinner, you could pray your way when you come here. You don't have to follow the custom of uh, that. Uh, if you're going to be the Chazan, then you follow our custom. But if you daven yourself, you could use your sitter and daven your way. That's perfectly okay. Teach me to do that. What's that? And why nobody has that? You know what's what's this a custom? That's a custom. And it's okay. that's a custom you do, which is okay. You could do it. No problem. Our custom not to do the way. When we have tefillin, we kiss oh. the tefillin. Yeah. Oh, do it. Right. That's what we do. But by mincha, we don't tefillin. We don't do anything. Some have a custom. That's okay. You know, keep the custom. No? Okay. Now, the idea is, so if I'm Sephardic and my, and my people do this, what happens if I don't do that? That's my custom. So, if, is, it, is it I should look at it as that's I'm supposed to honor my custom? It's your custom to do something else. So, when you do when you do your custom, you have a choice whether to do them or not to do them, and when it's my custom, do I have a choice whether to do them or not to do them? Well, when it comes to customs, a person has a right to change customs. But not, to but, not to pick and choose. But not to pick and choose. To pick and choose, that's not right. You can change customs. Especially in our day and age when so many people, parents weren't religious and they didn't do any customs. So you're really going back some generations. So you could choose what sort of customs you want. But like our miller said, pick and choose is the wrong way, you know. And you can't choose none. No, you have to follow one approach. Okay, you have to pick a group of people that you have to follow. Can I, can I say that, well, okay, I'm not going to choose? No. You see, would you, you have to choose a particular group of people? No. You see, it's like this. You, you don't have to choose so a within the nation of Israel, do I have to make a second choice now? If ultimately, yes. Ultimately, you have to choose one approach. But you don't have to do it today. You could do it in a year and two years. There's time for that. But ultimately, you have to choose one approach. And then once I do make that choice, in my, in my mind, in my heart, then I, have, then I take upon all of that as it becomes total. That's right. Uh, well, as appropriate. I mean, you know, you don't necessarily take all the time to go once, yeah, but ultimately, yeah. So once I have, it means I have chosen to join you and you've accepted me, and so now I'm part of you, then I can't say, no, I'm, I'm not going to wear that because I don't want to wear it. If I choose, no, you, no, no, no. I have to wear that. A hand is not a custom. Okay, so see, so you, see you also have to know what a custom means. Okay. No, you see, I mentioned... <laughs> I mentioned Shtram and all that. The truth is that's not a custom. Custom has to do with ways of doing mitzvahs. Like, like the one that, that Nassim mentioned, the Babsechas Yedecha, you know, he does with his hands. That's a custom. You know, that's, that has sources. But whether you wear a black hat or a blue hat or a Shtramol, that's not part of the custom. Yeah. You, you could accept the customs of a group, but you don't have to wear the dress. That's, that's not part of the custom. That's the tradition. A beard has to do more with law, with issues of law, different beard opinions. Law. Yeah, there are different opinions about a beard. As, as it's, more, it's more a legal question than a custom question when it goes to the beard. So to simplify my question, 
I can, I don't have to choose now, but at some point in time, I have to make a choice as to which particular group within the nation of Israel I must choose. That's right. Now, once I do make that choice, then all of their customs become my customs. That's so right. When I don't do it, I'm not fulfilling and following the tradition of my forefathers. Right. right, not fully fulfilling it. Right. Okay. Yeah. You, you have to distinguish between desecrating Shabbos, chas v'shalom, or a custom. You know, if you decide to accept the custom of and you're not going to go like this by Pesachas Yodecha, okay? It's not the same thing as, as God forbid desecrating Shabbos. You have to have it in the right context. No, I, know. I, I, have, I just want to get a general idea of what, what is, we're discussing. Okay, Rabbi Mill, you want to take a question, please? The word Sha'ol, Sha'ol basically is one of the names of Gehenna, of, uh, which we translate in English, what they translate in English is hell, yeah, but it doesn't really mean that, but uh, Sha'ol basically means a state of the soul where it requires, it's always asking for something, it's always, it's always in need, so to speak, Sha'ol, emotionally Sha'ol, you have to ask, it's always in a state of wanting and a need and an asking because it never feels completely unfulfilled, right? The states of uh, again, which are like alienation, right, who feels uh, alone, and the states of uh, what they call Gehenna. Now, Gehenna isn't a geographical place, obviously, it's a spiritual state of being, right, just like Dan Eden. The Garden of Eden is also a spiritual state, it's not, uh, and it's not necessarily only where you go when, uh, when, when a person dies, it goes to heaven to hell. It's a, it's a very Christian like, way of looking at it. But, uh, person can be living now, either in one or the other, or between the two. We have a proof, in fact, from the Torah, all stories of the Torah, that uh, when, when, when Yaakov went in to Yitzhak, after, when he went in to take the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau, so he went in and, uh, and, and Yitzhak says at one stage, he smells the scent of Yaakov and he says, my son has the scent of a field which Hashem has blessed. So Rashi right away says yeah, that this was the the the, 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 reach, the scent of Ghanada, the Garden of Eden came in with him. Right? Why? Because he was in he was in Garden of Eden, even more so the Garden of Eden was within him. That's where he was holding. Right? And when Esau comes in and says, Yeah, Yitzhak started trembling, was worried, fearful. Why? Because he saw Gehenna, he saw hell open underneath uh, Esau, right? He sensed that he wasn't able to see, he was blind, right? But he sensed it. Why? Because that's where Esau was, he was in hell at the time, right? He was, uh, that's where he was living. His spiritual state was a state of hell. His spiritual state was a state of Ghanada. So Sha'ol can also be, not necessarily when a person uh, dies, yeah? but now he needs, he needs everything. He, he feels incomplete, he doesn't have, right? He wants, he needs, he needs. God needs all the time. Can't satisfy that sure. And uh, there's a verse in the that says, Anyway, even in Sha'ol, in Neka, even down in Sha'ol, in the lowest levels of uh, Sha'ol, is the lowest level of, of Gehenna, right? Of, of hell, so to speak. In Neka, here, you were you there also. King, da- King David says in Psalms, even if I go down to the depths of hell, right? You were there too. You're also there. God's there too, to be found also in, in, in that place. I'll be answering the question. Yeah. It's about that particular issue, I mean, always a big issue to cover, but quick, um, if you can respond to me briefly. Uh, family members pass away, stages, I guess, I don't know the stages exactly, but pass away, is the soul left, 
נפטר מן העולם הזה. הלך איפה שהלך. אני יכול לפגוש, אם אני אפטר מן העולם, אני יכול לפגוש את אותו סוד, אימא שלי זוכרה לברכה, נפטרה לפני שבע שנים. אני רוצה לראות אותה. נפטרתי היום, אבל אנחנו מאמינים בגיבוי הנשמות. היא יכולה לחזור לעולם הזה, אני לא אראה אותה בעולם הבא. כזה, ייתכן כזה מצב? שהיא תחזור לעולם הזה. שהיא תגיד לנשמות, חזרה חזרה. נפטרתי מן העולם, אני הולך לעולם הזה, ואני אהיה שם. אני אהיה שם. אני אהיה שם. Is my mother, what's my, my mother up there? Or she can come and pull, uh, return back to earth and another, another... All the puzzle. And I won't see her, I won't connect with this soul. I think even when, uh, even when your soul will eventually after 120 years be up there, uh -huh. even if let's say your mother's soul will now be down here in a Gilgul in another reincarnation. Right, right. right. So there's nothing to stop you being in contact with... Uh, with the soul of your mother down here. Oh, so right? Just that, she could be in contact with you. You just have to realize it, that's all. There's nothing. Gilgul is a, is, a, is a whole concept in uh, Kabbalistic thought, Gilgul, reincarnation, which is, uh, there's, a, there's a whole literature on Gilgulim and how they work and so on and so forth. Right? But let's just clarify one issue in it, that the whole concept of the return of souls is for a very specific purpose, not a punishment. Uh, in the way it's understood in, for instance, uh, Hinduistic literature and things like this in, in the religions. It's simply a, an opportunity which is given to the soul to complete the 613 garments which it needs in order to be able to delight in the radiance of the Divine Presence to a great degree. That's why it comes back into Gilgul. So what do you mean when you do Kaddish, you raise Kaddish? push the neshama higher and higher, how high, you know, and then, how do you know if you push it higher, or maybe this coming, so many questions about this thing, just, uh, it's taboo, it's just things that you don't know. Uh, Kaddish makes, think, I think, your Tema Kudash, yeah, makes it more, more holy, Kaddish, Kaddish is a mourner's Kaddish, right. a mourner's prayer, but that's uh, basically what, what the, the, the function of it is, yeah, to give extra, since there's someone thinking about that soul, someone doing an activity in public, etc., etc., for the sanctity of that soul, so it gives an extra impetus to go. For souls, even in Ghanaian, there's different, there's infinite number of levels in Le Ghanaian, right? It goes up from level to level, from level to level, from level to level. And that's why I helped this Nishama to go higher in level? Me? I'll just stay at home. There's many of the stories, there's such stories in the Zohar, told, told in the Gomorrah, told in the Zohar, people who went into Gan Eden, they went in, I spoke with this one, I spoke with that one, yeah, sure, why not? Gan Eden is basically, the, the concept of Gan Eden is basically related to the amount of, the amount and depth to which one learned Torah, or one learned Torah in this world. And the more one learns Torah, the deeper one is already in Ghanaida. So, if you want to talk about going to Ghanaida, yeah, learn Torah, you'll be in Ghanaida, right? Learn it properly, you'll be in Ghanaida. That's the, that's the way it works. Ghanaida is the, 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 uh, the ability that a person has to conceptualize, understand, and relate to godliness 
whether he's in this world or the next world. It's just a little easier after he passes away from the body because then he doesn't have the constraints of the physical thing to, to prevent him from doing that, right? It's easier to, to ascend. On the other hand, there's an advantage of being down here because here you have the mitzvot which give you an impetus that you can't get anywhere else. One second, I want to add one point. Sure. It's important to realize that the actions of especially children in this world has an effect on the soul. The soul is aware of it. The soul of a parent is aware of it. And there's a tainuk, there's a pleasure that people in this world could create in the soul above. So it's not that there's no relationship now. There is a relationship, and what we do has a deep impact above. Yeah. One more thing about that particular thing is dream. If you dream, when do you know if it's Kabbalistic? Well, I know you guys read Kabbalah things deeply than any other person, but when the dream, you think it's you connected or... I had a dream, you know, and I felt so good. It was, I, I never felt like this in my life. You know, and it was a dream or it was something that I connect, as six, you know, so to speak, as you said. And when you think it was... It's hard to, there's no, like, there's no list of, uh, somebody threw of factors which, which you can say, by which you can say that a dream is for sure true or not, right? No, no, somebody threw it this morning that if you saw just the top, somebody said this early, but if you see the top, you mean, if you see the whole body, it's not. I don't know if it's true no, no, no. or not. I mean, Basically, one of the rules is, if your dream is about a tzaddik, mm -hmm. or about a mitzvah, or about Torah, or about something in Kedusha, then it has a meaning for you, it has a teaching for you. If not, then maybe it might be not. But for sure, if it has something of holiness in it, you see a face of a holy tzaddik, or whatever, or you have the voice of a tzaddik that tells you to do, then probably it's coming from... No, because it's funny, I got a message. I think I got a message. That's why I'm for part I'm here even. Let me just tell you a little story. Let me, let me tell you a little story of one guy. I came into the, into the, he came into Yeshiva one day, right? And he looked very, very, very upset. So his learning partner said to him, uh, what happened? You're white, you look upset, you look like you didn't sleep the whole night. So he said, I had a dream about God. And the verse says, no man shall see me and live, I saw God, so to speak, right? I saw God and now I'm going to die. His friend said, no, come on, it's nonsense. You know, it says in the Gomorrah that, it says in the Gomorrah that you dream about at night what you think about during the day. So it says, 20 years I didn't think about God. <laughs> For 20 years I didn't think about God. That what you think, what you think about during the day is what you dream about at night. Right? So 20 years I didn't think about God. You understand? Stop. <laughs> think about think about good things during the day, good dreams at night. No, 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 because it's there. Because the thing is, the, it was a message, like as you said, Olam so, um, that uh, in the Shama you're really not dead. I mean, your person not really dead. The Shama go higher. So when I saw uh, saw my mom, she goes to me, oh, I'm not dead. That's what she said. So this gave me a message. You see, it is Olam Abba. I'm sorry, if it was a personal connection. You know, somebody is like. As far as Kaddish or Kaddish, when was that instituted and uh, you can explain a little bit about that? When was Kaddish instituted? Uh, when the Antichrist of the Dead was Probably the time of the Antichrist of the Dead, the time of Ezra. Okay, so before then, what was the common thing to do when you had... Uh, it was a personal choice. There was no common text. 
people would do things for the sake of a soul, but in their own way. But then, just like the Shemoyness, or just like the prayer, there was a common text that was instituted afterwards. So at the same time, as was the organized prayer, so did the Kaddish mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we'll take another question. There's a question that says, um, how do we each, as individuals, come to know God's will for us? And how does it fit into God's will for the whole human race as well? Well, as far as God's, how do we each know what God wants from us as individuals? We have to first ask ourselves, what does God want from us as part of the Jewish nation? That's the first question. And the answer to that question is, look in the Torah. The Torah tells you exactly what to do and what not to do. That's God's will. What about me as an individual? Well, it is true that besides the fact that all Jews put on tefillin, they should put on tefillin, they should do all the mitzvahs, God does give a particular mission to each Jew. There's something that each Jew could achieve that no one else could do. Everyone has certain options, potential, talents that others don't have. And there is a personal mission also. Now, how do we know the personal mission? Um, a major part of it has to do with Hashgacha Pratis, Divine Providence. You see how Divine Providence pushes you, so to speak. But there's another factor. The Rebbe told us a lot of times, this is based on a statement in Mishnah Pirkei Avos, saying of our fathers, Asei Lechavav, the person needs a teacher, a spiritual mentor. The person needs a guide, just like we have a physical doctor, we need a spiritual doctor. Now when you have a mashpia, when you have a rab, a teacher, that you can consult with, very often when you discuss with him, you get guidance from God through this teacher, through this Islam. So that's very helpful in knowing the particular mission that we have as individuals also. Uh, how does it fit this all fit into the whole picture, the big picture? Well, God has a purpose for creation. What's the purpose of creation? God wants to have a dwelling place in this world. Which means God wants to have wholeness in this world. All of humanity is involved in this mission in different ways. Just as the human body has different organs with different objectives. The heart has one objective and the finger has another objective. There are different objectives. Of the body does its job, you have a healthy person. God created the world that every part of creation has to, fill, has to do its mission. And we have to do our mission. And when we're doing good, we're part of the master plan of creation. This question is a bit of a loaded question. Is Judaism prejudicial? Is it prejudice, etc.? So, very briefly, the answer to that is absolutely and absolutely not. Right? Absolutely not in the sense that uh, <laughs> Judaism, unlike, let's say, Arianism or something like that, yeah? to be an Arian, you have to be born into a certain race. There's no way that you can become an Arian. You don't have blonde hair, blue eyes, we're born to a Teutonic uh, you know, uh, family of some sort or another. A person can become Jewish just as, uh, you know, just uh, by, by, by his own free choice and be regarded just as Jewish as any, as any Jew was born Jewish and goes back all the way to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Uh, so in that po- from that point of view, there's no prejudice as such. On the other hand, to connect exactly with what uh, Rabbi Dubinsky was saying, every, every uh, person and consequently, uh, every 
religion, etc., has their function in this world, right? Every approach, Jews, uh, of course, Judaism for Jews uh, is, is, is the right way to go. Hinduism for Hindus, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's the right way for them to go, presumably. But is Judaism prejudicial in a, in a sense? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we have a certain function. We believe that we, we have a moralistic and ethical function in this world, besides many other functions. But one that um, we believe that this message is a divinely given message, and we have been given the responsibility of carrying this message to the world, a light to the nations, etc. And there is a certain moral standard which we hold up that regard that, that that other people regard as being prejudicial, right? If you don't do this, this is not a good thing, right? If you don't hold by these standards, this is regarded as, uh, but certainly by Jews, by religious Jews, as being something incorrect. And therefore, yeah, Jews will be will be regarded as uh, be regarded as being prejudicial. We have some kind of prejudice towards, uh, but the prejudice, uh, our, our prejudice is not so much in terms of our own, uh, in terms of Jewishness, but in terms of what we perceive uh, God to really want from us and what we perceive uh, our function and duty in this world to be. So I don't say I wouldn't say that it's a prejudice in the same same sense that you would, uh, you know. Uh, Zionism is racism kind of uh, kind of statement. Yeah, Judaism is prejudicial in the sense that everyone has their prejudices towards certain things. Our prejudice towards God, and therefore we would say that uh, uh, you know anyone who doesn't match up to the standards uh, would be would be automatically, in a sense, prejudged, right, as being uh, off the mark. Well, does that answer the question so much? Spiritual royalty. Spiritual privilege, privilege and responsibility. Yeah, royalty. I don't know. Royalty has more the sense of like ruling over other people. I don't think that that's really the intention. Rule over. Pride. Pride. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say, yeah. Um, could you explain a little bit of, I think it's the 36 Sabbatian that maintain the world. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, said that at any one time in the world, there are 36 hidden Sadiqim and 36 revealed Sadiqim in the world at any one time who basically maintain the world. Um, what's the idea? The idea is that uh, ultimately we all need spiritual direction and God in his wisdom and kindness doesn't leave us alone. He's, he gives us spiritual leaders who um, are the right people for the world in that time and that place uh, who guide us in uh, the path that we're supposed to be going along. Some of those do their work in an open and revealed manner, and some of them do it in a more concealed manner. Now, there was a, I heard a statement once from one of the one of the Hasidic that the Rebbe was a hidden Sadiq. <laughs> even though he was one of the most famous Jewish figures in, in this century, uh, even so, what we saw of him was only really the outer surface. The majority of him was hidden far from the eye. A very, very hidden person in, in, in many, many ways. So even though he was famous, he was well known, but he was hidden sighted in the sense that uh, what he was doing was mostly behind the scenes and wasn't known about by, by most people. Did I have to be Jewish? 
not to say that they are not righteous people in other, uh, in other walks of life, in other religions, etc., etc. Uh, that would be, I think it would be grossly incorrect to state that, that the righteous people all over the place. But when you're talking about tzaddikim, it has a certain particular definition. And then we would say, yeah, the 36 tzaddikim that, uh, that the Medrash is talking about, um, that mentions 36 tzaddikim, is um, that's really referring to something within the Jewish. Uh, and is it so? It's seventy-two altogether. It's yes. Right. Okay. Did the Rebbe ever uh, so teach about this? There's thirty-six revealed, thirty-six hidden. Did Did the Rebbe ever talk about this concept? Do you know? Um. Yeah, here and there, but not you know without any without. I mean, you talk about the concept as a concept, but without any identifications involved. We see the story in the Gomorrah, story told in the Gomorrah, particularly in the Medrash, about uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, for instance. Right? Beside the 36 tzaddikim that I mentioned, there's also one tzaddik who is called the tzaddik of Sodolam, the foundation of the world. That everything goes according to that particular tzaddik. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rashbi, the author of the Zohar, said in his time, and quite obviously totally without an ego, he said, if uh, there's only one tzaddik in the world, in other words, this is the tzaddik who's the foundation of the world, at this particular point in time, that's me. <laughs> without any, without any, without any gaiva, without any ego, without any... Uh, said, here I am, this is me. If you want to know who it is, it's me. But in every generation, we know who it is, not necessarily. Sometimes it's sometimes not. For sure, we would say that in the time of Baal Shem Tov, Baal Shem Tov, time that Rizal is that Rizal, and so on and so forth. But uh, in time of Moses, it was Moses. Are we obligated to know who it is? There's no obligation to know who it is. Right? And it's not even an obligation to identify who it is. Uh, sure, presumably, it doesn't work without us. If we have to know the Lord, we don't have to know one. How do we get to where we need it? Well, there have always been there have always been spiritual leaders. There have always been there have always been something. Always been people who basically blaze all the rest of us. Because really, uh, there's different levels of souls. Some souls are more inclusive, and some are less inclusive. Some souls are really only individual souls, and some souls are souls who, in a sense, include many other souls within their within their uh, grasp. The paradigm that is given for this in, uh, by the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, uh, he, the paradigm he gives for this is the menorah, the menorah. Yeah, the menorah says seven branches, depicting seven different kinds, not the Hanukkah menorah, the one in the temple, but the Mignash, right? Depicting seven, the seven branches on the menorah, and these seven branches are seven different personalities, seven, seven different character types. Right, relating to the seven spherot, the seven uh, emanations of Chesed. Now, the middle candle, the middle branch, uh, the one that all the candles turn towards, that's represented by Moses. Right. So, if you take six, six of them, uh, which are the six main branches, which all connect to the main stem. Right. So, six and the six multiplied by six, thirty-six subdivides into six. That subdivides further, 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 until you get six hundred thousand souls. Right? 
the 36 tzaddik and simply because there's, 30, there's six different paths and one path is the one that unites them all that's the tzaddik Yisod Olam the foundational tzaddik of the world you have the main branch of the menorah from which everything else branches out so it's not counted as one of them because it's beyond them all but uh, that's the way it works yes. that's why the 36 but there will always be like spiritual leaders why? because uh, God uh, Basically, doesn't leave us in the lurch. You know, go find your own way, right? There's always, there's always been someone who, so to speak, being instructed in a sense personally by God to be the not the medium, not the intermediary, yeah, but the but the shadchan. No, the shadchan is the matchmaker yeah, between uh, the Jewish people and God. Moses says the following thing: I stood be- between God and you to tell you the word of God. Doesn't mean to say, come to me, you bring all the things to me, I'll go further. You can only go up to here and I'm going to go the next bit, right? And we have a whole hierarchy of how it works like that. It doesn't work like that, right? The function of a Jewish leader is simply to connect yeah, the bride and the groom. Yeah, God is compared to a groom and the, the Jewish people compared to a bride. Connect the bride and the groom and then step out of the picture. When you need it, you'll come in and help them with their, you know, keeping peace in the home and how to educate their children and so on and so forth. But in the meanwhile, he's, uh, once he's done the introductions, he sort of uh, steps back. He doesn't, he doesn't marry the chosan and then you know, marry the groom and then marry the bride. And he acts the go-between. It doesn't work at all. Just introduce us. That's why you have uh, tzaddikim. The point of a tzaddik is not to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of uh, this level and then, you know, I've got to go, to go anywhere further. So forget about you. You're down here, but the foot, you know, the foot soldiers. And, you know, then we've got hierarchy. So it doesn't work. There's no hierarchy as such. You know. Jewish thought. So is, is, is there is there a book or books you can recommend that explain the different the type of uh, soldier beings uh, and, and the, the uh, hierarchy? In English, you mean the different types of uh, the different branches of the of the candelabra of the menorah. Uh, in English, you're talking about, right? Um, do you know what I mean? Like, um, well, well, like before I got into someone told me there was a hierarchy, like, like archangels, angels. Yeah, yeah, but you know, you know, archangels are lower than souls. They're not, uh, you know, they might be purer than souls, but they less, they have less. Uh, they, they might be purer, but they're much more limited than souls. Souls transcend angels to very more, more personal. Um, because what a soul is, the soul is part of God about, right? The soul is part of God. And the angels are only a certain mission of God, it's not, not part of God, it's not a mission. It's a particular function that an angel, an angel has. So it's just like a professor rather than an individual? Yeah. But, but still, is, is there like a, a yeah, source that explains all the different... Uh, sure, sure, sure. Which would be... Um, in English? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know in English. I mean, you can have a look if you want. You can have a look in uh, in Maimonides in the beginning, in the second, uh, the second, second chapter, second, third chapter of Maimonides, where he speaks about uh, the various angels, he speaks about the various kinds of angels. That's been translated in Sefer Hamada, right? In the Book of Knowledge. So in the first few chapters over there, he was a Torah and the Father. The laws of the foundational laws of the Torah. There he speaks about it in the second or third chapter. 
it is the same frequency here? We have the same. We have, we have it all. We should, we should have it all. I have the same frequency. Then it's in both. It's in both. Yeah, but we have said we have uh, it. We have it. Another target did it on the last two. We have it. We have it also. Now there's different ways of looking at it there. He looks at it in terms of one point of view, there's an officer's point of view from Kabbalah, anyway, whatever, you'll, you'll get an idea from there. The various, uh, various angels. And then maybe one that explains, like, like uh, I'm saying, the, the different levels of heaven and the different garments they talk about. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of it is in, the, in that part of Maimonides, and he speaks about that a lot. All of it. Okay, I think we covered all the questions. All your questions, I hope, are answered. I'm sure you'll have many more questions. And a self-deaf question, don't hesitate. Next, class to Quran Science.